Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph brings a message entitled, Channels of Subversion. And now, here's Pastor Ralph in Ephesians chapter 6. We're in Ephesians 6 this morning. We're continuing our study. It's called uh, Deliver Us From Evil, dealing with spiritual warfare in the 21st century. Today, we're talking about channels of subversion. The scripture teaches us that Satan is, is a liar, he's a murderer, and he's a thief. But we're going to look at a scripture today that says he is the father of lies. It's his very character to lie to us. And as we learn about how to deal with the devil and how to handle the attacks that come in our life, we're going to find more and more that those things deal with a lie. You know, it may come a lie that says that you're useless, that you're a worthless person and, and begin to, to tear you down. There may be a lie that, that comes along the lines of, of some fear. How many times have you just had some issue come up in your life that just struck you with panic and you thought that the whole world was going to fall apart for you and then a few weeks later you look back and you realize the Lord intervened here and he intervened here and it was fine and if you really get a perspective on your life you realize that's what he always does but Satan will throw this lie at you that he is fierce and that he is stronger than God in your life he's able to destroy you there's the lie that's called seduction you deserve it. Go ahead and do it. Just this once, you know. Lie after lie after lie. And, and most of what Satan does to destroy us, I even believe that people who ultimately are demon-possessed or demonized, however you would say it, it starts with a lie. They start to believe a lie. They open up a gateway in their heart to what the devil would like to do. And he comes in with all of his destructive force. But it begins with a lie. And so we want to, to look at that in Ephesians chapter 6. It tells us to stand against the strategies and tricks of the devil. We're going to work our way through this next few verses in Ephesians, but it's going to take us about 18 weeks to get through it uh, because I'm going to roam around the Bible and try to give you some depth of understanding. Verse 10 says a final word, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. That's the whole deal. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Stay in the Spirit. Put on all of God's armor. We'll be talking about that in the next few weeks so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. So that when Satan comes at you, the main thing that you do will take an aggressive and strong posture against him. We're going to read scripture that says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. There's scripture that Madison quoted just a few moments ago about small groups, that when two or more of us get together in any, and pray about anything, it'll happen. But that scripture also says, if we bind something on earth, it'll be bound in the heavenlies. If we loose something on earth, it'll be loosed in the heavenlies. We pray in ways that tie Satan's hands. He's bound in our life. We pray in ways that release things into our life, and those things are released in our life. There's strength, but we come to a place where we learn that we have to decide to stand against the devil. We have to decide to stand firm against him. There's this whole issue that every time something goes wrong, that we immediately start to question God. You know, this, this thing that is just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wrong paradigm. It's something that we've been sort of spoon-fed, and it's non-biblical. And as soon as something happens that is out of sorts or out of order or evil, we all kind of lay back and go, 
oh my gosh, I wonder why God is doing this, or why did God allow it to happen? We're going to read today about there being a war in the heavens between angelic forces, those of God and those of Satan. There's a struggle that's going on in the cosmos, and that struggle is played out in human lives. And when evil happens, let's put evil where it belongs. Jesus said that Satan is a liar, a thief, and a killer. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then he says, I come to give life and to give it all in its fullness. And so when something bad happens, let's not blame the Lord. When something bad happens, let's blame the devil. Does that make sense to you? When something good happens, let's honor the Lord and praise him and, and worship him. But let's see it for what it is. Because if you blame the Lord when something bad happens, your faith goes out the window. How do you pray to a God like that? But if you're willing to blame the evil one, the destroyer, when something happens that's destructive, then you can run to the Lord for a place of safety and a place of security, and you will find yourself standing firm. Does this make sense to you? You know, I was talking to a man last night, and he said, you know, he says, I, he's, he's 60 years old. And he goes, I've been a Christian since I was in my mid-20s. He was in a biker gang, all these kind of things happened. Now he's a successful businessman, successful father. God is blessing him immensely. And he's going, all, all of my Christian life, I never got what you're teaching right now. I operated from the paradigm that, that Satan barely exists or he's unable to touch us. And, and he goes, now as, as soon as I've begun to see it differently, it's opened my eyes. You know, if there's a, there's a good book called Epic sitting on the book table back there. It's a, it's, a, it's a Reader's Digest condensed version of a better book called Waking the Dead. And it, it will it'll grab a hold of you because the guy uses a lot of the movies that we've seen lately and stuff to kind of illustrate the Bible. It, it gets your attention. But he said, I, I begin to see things differently. It's, it's empowered my prayer life. It's brought my prayer life to, to life. And we need this. We need this. I want you to think of what we called the core five. Remember we read through the book, The Purpose Driven Life, all together uh, twice. Uh, I, I want to I do a little check and I want to see how, how good of a teacher I am, how much you remember of it. Uh, what's the first sentence in the book? It's not about you. It's about God. But there's somebody contesting God. We're in a spiritual warfare. So what are the five purposes for our life? What's the first one? Well, seven people got it. I get up here and preach my heart out. Twice. At least 12 weeks we did this. 14 weeks and six or seven people got it. What's the first purpose? Worship. All of you say it real loud. What is it? Worship. Worship. Okay. Think about this. Worship means assigning value to someone. Assigning worth. It comes from the word worth. And as you, as you think about worship... I thought I was doing my own thing, but in reality I was being manipulated by Satan. The Bible says we all, like sheep, walked away from the shepherd. I'm doing my thing. But, the, but you know, my favorite poet, Bob Dylan, says, you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you got to serve somebody. And you find yourself enslaved in sin. You know, stuff that looked like fun ended up becoming bondage. But there comes that point that you transfer allegiance. You know, as a man, I struggle with the idea of loving God. 
I mean, I, I tend to be a head trip person, not an emotions person. You know, my wife is wired very differently. And, and when, when I, I wish I, I felt great emotion toward God. I, I don't feel warm fuzzies toward God once in a while. But I do understand the concept of allegiance. And I understand the concept of love being allegiance. I've made a commitment to my wife. There's times I don't like her too well, but I, I, I have this commitment that's there. There's times she doesn't like me too well. Well, with God, see, I, worship is, is moving from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm transferring my allegiance to you. Does that make sense? And all that we do in expressing worship, coming to church, what we call worship, is, is, is a sort of a verbal and emotional expression of that transfer of allegiance. What's the second of the five purposes? Fellowship. Come on now. Now, ten people got that one. What is it? Fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship means partnership. The Greek word that we use in the New Testament, koinonia, means to go partners with somebody. You know what this means is? In the spiritual warfare, somebody's walking, watching your back. You've got somebody that's there with you that, that, that is, it will pray for you when things are tough. You could call them on the phone and say, hey, things, my life just fell apart. Will you pray with me? Or they will confront you if you're starting to head down a wrong path. They're there for you. The third of these five purposes is what? Can you remember it? You guys are so enthusiastic, and you're killing me. But, okay, I'll tell you what it is. All those you forgot it. It's discipleship. Now, what is it? Discipleship. See, if I get you to repeat it, you'll remember it. Discipleship. That's what we're doing this morning. We're looking through the scripture. We're studying. We're learning about God. We build, uh, we build some sort of a routine into our prayer life. Well, that's discipleship. We're learning to become like Christ, to be a, a disciple, a learner of Christ is what it really means. A fourth purpose, can anybody say that one? Ministry. Ah, oh, we're getting there. Ministry is when we reach out, I think, largely to one another in the family of God. Ministry is when some of you walk out of here this morning and walk right over into the children's church and then put an hour and a half into taking care of some little kids and teaching them the things of the Lord. Ministry is Kaala Sousa, who's pastoring Hope Chapel, or they call it a different name, uh, Mana Olana, down in Kahala. And he's organizing a bunch of people from our churches to go this summer, and some of you might want to go with him, to Sri Lanka to help rebuild after the tsunami. We got word from the folks in Sri Lanka, don't come now, the Red Cross is here. When they go home, there will be a huge vacuum come then. And so we're, we're saving up money because they want to go down there and do some building. And so we're making sure there's funds to, to go down there. That's ministry, reaching out around the world. Ministry is when we go into Japan and help the, the struggling, struggling churches there to reproduce themselves and to try to evangelize that nation. Ministry is when we go into the Dominican Republic and we give away food and clothes and eyeglasses as a way, though, to do the fifth thing, and that's evangelism. And evangelism is probably the apex of spiritual warfare. You know, I'm reading a book right now about World War I. And there are actually some people that were on the side of Germany and Austria-Hungary that whole platoons of, of, of soldiers, even a battalion, that swapped sides and came over to the side of the Allies. 
When you can take somebody from the enemy's side and bring them onto your side, you've, you've, you've scored a huge victory. And that's really what evangelism is, is we're bringing people from, from the dominion of Satan into the control of the Lord and to his grace. And that's spiritual warfare. Does this make sense to you? So as we begin to think a whole new paradigm here, we, we, we learn that we have to stand up against the devil and the things that he does. Well, we're going to run around the scripture real fast today. The next section I'm calling the fall of pride, and it's in Isaiah chapter 14. If you'll go there with me. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. If your Bible looks like mine, it's page 1064. And this is a description of Lucifer, the angel, the star of the morning. The Bible uses the word star as a descriptive for angels, which are, are messengers of God, spirit beings that are messengers of God. And this is this angel, Lucifer, choosing to rebel against God and try to knock God off his throne in the heavens and become like God, become a God like God in, in competition with him and, and his loss. It starts out in verse 9. It says, In the place of the dead there is excitement over your arrival. World leaders and mighty kings, long dead, are there to see you. With one voice they all cry out, Now you are as weak as we are. Well, what's this about? Hell was not, is not a place that Satan operates. Hell is a place that God operates that was created to punish Satan for his rebellion against God. That's what the scripture teaches. We're not there, but it teaches it in another place. What is happening here? People who have died, who are evil people, the Saddam Husseins and Adolf Hitlers of this world are in hell waiting to see Satan finally be cast down to where they are. This is what it's saying here. They have awaited your arrival. You see, Satan doesn't go to hell until the end of human history. That's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's then that he is cast into this place that the Bible calls Gehenna. And, and he's, he's, he's wrapped up there. And so evil people who have gone before him are waiting. And they look down and they go, now you're cut down. You're as weak as we are. Your might, your power, they're all gone. They were buried with you. You know, the Bible talks about Satan possessing a world leader, the person called the Antichrist. It says, all the pleasant music in your palace has ceased. Now maggots are your sheets and worms are your blankets. You didn't know the Bible was so colorful, did you? Look at verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You could write above the words, O shining star, the word Lucifer, because that's exactly what it says. Bringer of light. You are fallen from heaven, O angel of light, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars, God's angels. Write that there in your, your Bible. By the way, mark your Bibles. The reason I'm going over this scripture is I always talk about it, but I want to make sure you can find it. You ought to read your Bible with a pen in your hand, underline scripture, write little words. When you're reading a Christian book and you get something out of it, go write it in that section of your Bible so your Bible becomes a tool for you. He goes on and says, I will preside on the mountains of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heaven and be like the most high. Mark that out. I will climb to the highest heaven and be like the most high. Folks, that is the perfect definition of sin. I am going to be like God. Now, I can't say I'm going to be like God over this universe, but I can say I'm going to be like God over this little universe where I stand 
and I walk and I choose and I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, perfect peace comes to the point where you're, you're, you're willing to recognize that God has a plan for you and to hold up every plan in your life and say, God, what do you want next? Where do you want us to go? I have a couple of big financial decisions that I'm facing right now. And the other day I was sweating and freaking out and doing all that you do. And all of a sudden I, I just realized, that, you know what? This stuff really belongs to the Lord. I surrendered it to him long ago. And so, God, what's the next best decision? Where do we go from here? And all of a sudden, there's, there's peace in my heart. The exact opposite of that is what Satan said. I want God's throne. I want to be like God. I'm going to sit in the throne. But verse 15 says, here's where, what that gets you. Instead, you'll be brought down to Sheol, the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. And so Satan is van vanquished from heaven because of his rebellion against God. We read more of this in Revelation chapter 12, first few verses. Go to, all the way to the back of the Bible, Revelation 12. And again, get your pen out. In verse 1 it says, I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This is actually a, a metaphor for the nation of Israel. It says that she was pregnant and she cried out in the pain of labor as she awaited her delivery. Think of the birth of Christ. Suddenly I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon. This is where we get the idea of Satan with a, with a little red suit on. But, but watch this description because it's actually Satan in control of nations. And, and we won't go into it, but... It says, I saw this large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. And his tail dra dragged down one-third of the stars. Write the word angels there because that's what it's this metaphor. One-third of the angels which he threw to the earth. He stood before the woman as she was about to give birth to her child, ready to devour the baby as soon as it was born. Satan came to, through Herod to devour Jesus as soon as he was born. And this is what it's talking about. It says he dragged down one-third of the stars or the angels with his tail. It's, it's, it's not a, a literal tail. It's figuratively a tail. With his rebellion, he swept one-third of the angels out of heaven along with him. The woman gave birth to a boy who was to eventually rule all the nations with an iron rod. And the child was snatched away from the dragon and caught up to God into his throne Think of the resurrection. The woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to give her care for 1260 days. Then there was war in heaven, interestingly. You always think of God just, you know, says something and it's all over. But the Bible says there's war. It doesn't say how long it lasted. It might have been a half hour. It might have been a thousand years. There was war in heaven. There's a tug of war going on right now in the heavenlies. And we're caught in the middle. We're pawns in a chess match. And we have to choose, we get to choose, how we will stand. And the Bible calls us to stand firm on God's side in his care against the enemy. There was war in heaven. Michael and the angels, Michael being the chief angel now that Lucifer has been forced out. Michael and his angels, we get the word archangel, Michael. Under, the command, under his command fought the dragon and his angels. The dragon lost the battle, was forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown to earth with all of his angels. And so Satan, because of his rebellion against God, his choice to try to take over God's throne, 
was cast out of heaven and, and a third of the angels with him. Again, this is not an easy scripture to locate and I want you to have it so mark it somehow in your Bible so you would be able to find it. You know, just write uh, Satan loses or a third of the angels thrown out of heaven. Something that, that will just be a roadmap to you in the future. Now we're going to go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this talks about Satan's character and his tactics. Jesus is, is arguing against some right-wing religious uptight people. And there was an interesting cover story in Time magazine a couple of weeks ago where they put a profile of the 25 leading uh, evangelicals in our country. People from, from Rick Warren to, to, you know, whoever is making a difference in our country in terms of, of, of powerful Christian leaders. And, and then the article talked about uh, President Bush being an evangelical, and then it said that these people were somehow instrumental in his re-election and went on and talked about that. Well, I was reading yesterday in this week's Time magazine the, the letters to the editor, and, and they put about 20 of them in there. Very interesting. Um, time makes an issue of Christianity. It always holds Christianity up to scrutiny. And, and every other letter was, was exactly opposite of each other. One letter would say, this is good that you give time and you give attention to this. These evangelical people mean good, and they're loving people, and they're good for our country. The next letter would go on, these people are right-wing screw-ups. There's something wrong with them. They want to dominate our country. They're going to take away separation of church and state. They're going to ruin America. They're a bunch of uptight, hard-nosed, mean people. Well, if that's what we are, then we deserve that criticism. If that's what we are, then we deserve the criticism that Jesus gives to people like that. And he says, you're children of your father, the devil. The Lord came and said, I've come to bring life. He said that we're called to love the Lord, but we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, one of the things that's been going on a whole bunch, I told you about these guys that beat up Trevor. I want to see them come to justice. I'm praying for that. But every person that I've spoken to, and myself included, has prayed immediately, Lord, let them come to justice, but through justice, let them come to grace and let them know the love of the Lord and bring them into our church. There ought to be that kind of love going on behind whatever we're doing. And so these people attack Jesus and basically they attack him because they say he was born out of wedlock and they jump on him. He turns around and says, well, you're of your father, the devil, verse 44, you're children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has always hated the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Underline that last sentence. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In the margin of your Bible, write these words, Satan's character. What is Satan's character? Untruth. He's the liar and the father of lies. He's a murderer. Ultimately, the devil would like to destroy you through sickness, through somebody's violent physical attack, but in many cases through suicide. He'd like to destroy you. He'd like to take you out. But his chief weapon always comes from his character. We always act out our character. And Satan is no different. And his character is that of 
a liar. And so he's going to always come at you with untruth. And you need to be able to sort out the truth. This is why we need to know the scripture. You know, you don't know the scripture so you can be a good religious person. You know the scripture so that you, you have the whole armor of God. The Bible talks in Ephesians, we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, about the Bible itself being the sword of the spirit, the word of the Lord, that I'm able when, when Satan comes to attack me to, to fight back with truth when untruth comes my way. And, and so we need to get used to him being a liar. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to see him at work. We're almost done here, going much faster than I thought I was going to go today. Genesis 3, verse 1. Take a careful look at the picture that's on the screen. It's this very androgynous figure robed in black that you saw lurking around the, the edges of Jesus' life in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. To my mind, that's the best depiction of Satan as he appears in our lives that I can think of. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 